Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell, bringing you the latest information for families seeking to adopt, adoptees, and women considering placing a child for adoption. Now, with today's program, here is Marty Caldwell. Well, welcome to Let's Talk Adoption. This is Marty Caldwell, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Today, we're going to be discussing tracing uh, your your heritage, uh, basically adoption, search, and reunion, and how this company can help you find birth parents and children, and adoptive parents can also help their their, uh, adoptees and birth parents come together. So we are going to go ahead and discuss this at length. If you have any questions, we'd love to give you some information also. We'll be giving you a website for the company. Um, if you'd like to send in information or ask questions about Let's Talk Adoption, I'd like to send you over to our website, which is letstalkadoption.com, and you can also send me an email at info at letstalkadoption.com. Give us your feedback and information you'd like to hear on our upcoming programs, too. Uh, every week we have lots of different people on our program, and today our topic is, again, Adoption, Search, and Reunion. Uh, my guest today is a Rick um, Kurt, excuse me, Kurt Rutherford, and he's with Worldwide Tracers. Uh, welcome to the program, and let's talk adoption, Kurt. Thank you very much, Marty. It's great to be here. Well, you have, you have Worldwide Tracers, and this is an adoption search company that you began um, to help reunite adoptees and birth point parents over 30 years ago. And I guess to date, you have a completed over 19,000 cases in uh, every state of the United States, and then you've also gone into 69 foreign countries, um, which is amazing. So, Pat Rutherford, now that was your father? That's my father. He's the one that actually uh, started Worldwide Tracers. Okay. And, and then you started of uh, it. interesting how we actually did start. Let's uh, get a little bit of background about that. <clears throat> my mom and dad actually um, adopted three kids after the first three. I guess they just couldn't get enough of mm-hmm. us. But uh, anyway, uh, when, when the oldest uh, turned 18, uh, they found, uh, dad found their uh, birth parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of a different situation. Uh, they took them in when they were older, mm-hmm. um, of course, as is the case in, in, in some situations. Right. Uh, their birth, birth mother had um, a tragedy. They'd lost their father early on, and uh, uh, one thing led to another, and she ended up having to give up her children. And my mom and dad uh, took them in. But uh, once, once dad uh, found their birth mother at that point, mm-hmm. uh, my sister-in-law came to, to him, and she was adopted, and said, wow. if you can find their birth parents, you can certainly find mine. And well, that's amazing. So she did it, they, they had a system down on how to do it then. Well, more or less, I mean, it was just uh, trial and error at, mm-hmm. that, at that time, Marty, and uh, you know, Dad really didn't know what he was doing. That's back in 1980. and No internet. <laughs> I, obviously, no internet. Uh, there's not a lot of things available to you, but um, uh, you know he did find my sister-in-law's birth parents, and uh, somebody did a story on it, one of the local newspapers, and then it hit the national news, and Dad started getting calls. Uh, it, it just kind of worked itself into something that uh, we've been doing now for. Uh, 30 years. That's I, amazing. Did he have another job at the time when he was doing that, or did he just... Uh, actually, no. He had retired early, so it was just something he actually did when mm-hmm. his fire, in his spare time. And, well, that's yeah. wonderful. It's helped so much. So let's talk about a little bit about, you know, how does uh, a licensed um, private investigator actually help in the adoption process? Because I want to make sure that we're giving people 
information so they won't get scammed because, you know, like anything else, every industry has people out there that don't have the best interest of their clients in mind. And I know that you have high ethics, and I want to share, you know, a little bit about um, how being with a licensed private investigator can actually help somebody. Well, it's uh, ironic, as as we mentioned, uh, we actually uh, started way before the Internet. So uh, once the Internet came around, yes, people started coming out of the woodwork. Uh, you saw companies that would come and go, and people would lose their money. So it is something that uh, uh, even now you have to be very careful about. As a private investigator, obviously, you're held accountable for what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're licensed in the state of Texas. Uh, everybody can be licensed in their own state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're regulated by the Texas Department of Public Safety, who mm-hmm. also regulates law enforcement. Yeah. So if you come to a point where you've done something wrong to your client or uh, done something illegal, obviously mm-hmm. there's going to be a, a report made and a very high possibility that you lose your license. So right. to me, if there's a search company, it would be imperative to make sure that they are licensed mm-hmm. and you can uh, ask for a license and you can also where would they check would they check with the public safety then in their state uh, absolutely mm-hmm. I, I would just uh, of course google private investigator our uh, investigation license mm-hmm. and the state that they're in and there should be a contact uh, for instance in florida believe it or not it's the uh, um what is it the state uh, Forget it has to do with farming, which is so ironic. How funny! So every state's uh, agriculture. I, I'm sorry, agricultural mm-hmm. department. So every state has a different department that regulates it. So uh, a little bit different on that. Now, can you work with people outside of Texas? Or are you only licensed? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so. absolutely. It just means that you're doing cases uh, in the state of Texas, even though they're outside of the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. So uh, because of the fact that you're actually doing that work, then uh, they oversee exactly what you do. So um, a person, if they're having a problem with a search company that's a private investigator, they can uh, certainly file a complaint in in the state that uh, uh, the individual search company is licensed in. What kind of problems would they have? Uh, What would be uh, a, a few examples of problems people would have where they take their money and don't do any work or... Well, I think that's basically it. Uh, They take their money, you never hear from them, and um, that's basically it. We have a a situation that we set up long ago to where people can get updates on their cases as we go along. Um, Online or? um... um, Actually, they email us. They uh, inquire about their case. Then we'll write them back, and we always do it in writing because, as you, I'm sure, are aware, you do something over the phone, and there's mm-hmm. always a chance for miscommunication. Right. It's better to so, get everything. That's a really good tip for our listeners is to make sure you're getting everything right in your contract, what you're paying for, what you, you can get and you can't get, because you know private investigators can only do so much because they're not lawyers. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, as a private investigator, you must have an investigation agreement. Mm-hmm. If the uh, individual does not get an investigative agreement, then something's wrong. Yeah. So uh, make sure that that's uh, 
always the case. And can you get that ahead of time so you can see it? And I guess you can check and see if they're with the Better Business Bureau or with they. If they oh, have absolutely. Complaints. Absolutely. It's pretty transparent now. I mean, if anybody applies, I know, even to work for lifetime adoption, now we, uh, you know, we can just go online and look on Facebook or MySpace or just Google them to find out more about them. Right. And right. so it's pretty easy to do. Let's talk a little bit about um, adopting search. Now you're doing this, um, Kurt. You're doing this full time, right? Yes. Wow. That's and your correct. your son Jeremy, uh, he joined. Share us a little bit about him working with you too. Before we get into that, it's kind of interesting. He does a lot of the work on the uh, internet. As private investigators, we have access to information sources that are only available if you're licensed or law enforcement. It's a very important point. Uh, the information that you get on the Internet is normally just public information. Anybody can get it. Uh, the information we're allowed is um, a lot more uh, involved. Mm -hmm. We're going to get a lot more information to search with uh, than anyone else. But he's in charge of that um, and, and very good at it. Yeah. Uh, the, I'm 55 years old. I'm, I don't keep up with uh, things of the computer like I should. And uh, being a little bit younger than me, he's on top of the... And he started when he's pretty early at 16, he did. so that's great. He's been doing at this for a while. At the age of 16, yeah. and of course, uh, everybody has their part-time job when they're in high school. And, and that's what he, uh, did. he decided to work with Grandpa and Dad. And, How wonderful. Uh, and he loves it. Yeah, so. and that's great. I love hearing about family stories, too. What is, um, you know, what is the most difficult part uh, of an adoption search? The name. The name. Getting yeah. the name. Yeah, Whether the, you're uh, looking for the birth mother or the adoptee, obviously uh, every state but eight uh, have closed adoption searching. Um, so uh, everything is sealed. So getting the name is uh, the name of the game, so to speak. Well, yeah, which, which eight are the ones that are open? Oregon. I knew you were going to ask that. And, and it changed. And you, you know, if you don't have them, that's okay. I just know Oregon is one that's open. And um, there's a few uh, Washington has a good program through uh -huh. WARM. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what was it? Uh, just it? opened up a, Maybe a couple, a couple of years ago, Maryland. Okay. And uh, interesting story about that, too. Mm -hmm. I'll make it short. Mm -hmm. But um, when they finally passed the law in, uh, and I believe it was Maryland, there were uh, two individuals, uh, mm -hmm. male and female, in the state legislature, mm -hmm. and they were basically the first to actually use the law mm -hmm. and ended up that they were brother and sister. You are kidding me. I kid you not. Wow. Uh, there was a big article about it. It was just the, the uh, strangest thing ever, but uh, how ironic is that? Yeah, that is amazing. What a story to open up that, and I'd like to see more states open up, too. So the name is important. What um, you know? What type of things uh, can people bring? Because I know that I don't do adoption searches, but I've had a lot of people come to me and ask me about it, and they bring me like a shoebox of whatever they have. Um, right. What's helpful so that people can kind of write this down before they would contact someone like yourself, Kurt, um, um, you know, with Worldwide Tracers? Um, what kind of things should they try to get ahead of time? Already the nature of an adoption search is you come to the table with very little information. We just take whatever the person has. Uh, we're fortunate enough, uh, of course, if we can get a name, that's uh, great. But 
nine times out of ten, we're not going to have that that name coming in. But not for an older adoption type thing. And and do they have the hospital because they sometimes they get new birth certificates. So how's that work? Hospital. If we can find uh, the agency, if they can tell us the agency, which most can. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, city, county, and state they were born in. Mm-hmm. Uh, date of birth. Um, now, uh, especially with birth mothers, when when uh, they're looking for the adoptee, uh, if they were very very young when when they had the child and placed them for adoption, and usually their mother and father are involved. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're not exactly sure of the date of the birth. I mean, can you imagine being no. 16 and no. having all that go on? And uh, uh, I have yeah. some birth mothers that are, are just really feeling guilt over that, but mm-hmm. they really should not. It's At that young age, it's yeah. really difficult to uh, retain what's going on. Exactly. And, I've had birth moms as young as 11, and, you know, it's very hard because there's so much emotional uh, and hormonal and uh, fear and then also secrecies back there. And that's why I know that uh, with lifetime adoption, we try to have semi-open to open adoption so we get this information and it's there in case it's ever needed because I hate to see... But you still lose people. I mean, they still move around, and, and Certainly. so it, we have more information. But are you finding that uh, as adoptions, newer adoptions are easier to trace than the ones from 30 or 40 years ago? Yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we first started, we did adoptions that went back to the, to the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Very, very difficult. And you even had your, what we would call, good, good old boy states uh, yeah. in the South where um, all of a sudden you would find that adoption records are just lost. They're yeah. non-existent. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, what I mean by good old boy, uh, smaller town, uh, so and so knows the judge, and the judge loses the file. Yeah, yeah, and that's really so. sad. That's really sad. And I'm probably in things like Louisiana where they actually had such big hurricanes and things that things were lost or tornadoes. I know we've had problems with that where we had to go back and recreate files from my files when right. people have lost that. Exactly. And, and, and now putting as much as we can in safes and, um, and you know, uh, scanning things. Um, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Uh, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Kurt Rutherford um, with... Um, Rutherford. It's, it's Rutherford, right? It's Rutherford. Rutherford uh, with Worldwide Tracers. And we're discussing adoption search and reunion and how, um, how that process works and how it can help you and what information you need. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this quick break. All children deserve a home, and Lifetime Adoption wants to help those children find a home. If you are starting to explore adoption, Lifetime can help you learn more and find the resources you need. Lifetime has been committed to supporting birth families and helping children for nearly 20 years. They offer guidance and encouragement during and after your pregnancy. At Lifetime, open adoption means you make the choices. Choose the adoptive family, choose how much contact you want, and choose how you want the adoption to happen. The choice is up to you. Lifetime is known for their caring and genuine concern for the birth mother's well-being before and after adoption. They're able to provide adoption services to prospective adoptive families and birth parents from all over the nation. 
and Lifetime provides you with a 24-hour hotline for support and guidance. To find out more information, visit LifetimeAdoption.com. Give the gift of your home to a deserving child. Call 800-923-6784. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption. I'm Marty Caldwell, and uh, it's a pleasure, pleasure to have you today. We're we're in the middle of a really great discussion about uh, adoption search and reunion, and how wild, uh, worldwide tracers can help you, um, and how a private investigator works. Uh, Kurt Rutherford is with us. He's been with his company. It's a family-owned company for 30 years, so they, they're licensed um, private investigators, and he's out of Texas. Um, Kurt, let's get your website here so that people that are listening can at least... Uh, start looking into uh, your organization too. Uh, what is your website? It's Worldwide Tracers, and that's spelled T-R-A-C-E-R-S dot com. Okay, and that's really easy too. And let's go ahead and give your phone number out too in case someone wants to call. Sure. It's 1-800-432-FIND, F-I-N-D. Okay, good. And uh, that's great because in that way people will at least have that part. Before we left, we were discussing a little bit about you know how some of the documents had been left, um, you know, lost and damaged and destroyed and some maliciously and some just because they didn't take, they didn't keep good documentation at the time. You know, you, you, um, let's talk about petitioning the court to obtain the name. Um, what does that actually mean and how does that work? When you, when you go, you go to court for, for a birth parent or an adoptee, right? Nope, a little bit different. Uh, We started doing this about 13 years ago. Uh, We met with our attorney. We wanted to make sure we had everything uh, uh, in order to where uh, we're not actually in a situation of practicing law without a license. Mm -hmm. But we put together some uh, petitions that can be used in certain states to uh, get a judge to actually open the records for either the birth mother or the adoptee. Um, In the petition, normally you're uh, uh, disclosing to the judge that uh, you may have a certain reason. It can be medical, which obviously if there's a medical uh, situation, uh, normally a judge would rule in favor of that than uh, the fact that you'd just like to locate them. Um, But uh, the uh, petition is actually... Uh, when we put it together, uh, we actually offer our services as intermediary. Mm-hmm. Um, let's face it, judges, all of us have heard uh, horror stories of uh, adoptee or birth mother finding out where one of the other is and, and just uh, completely invading privacy. Mm-hmm. doesn't happen near as often no. as what you hear in the news. Yeah, they have you always hear the worst in yeah. the news, don't exactly, you? Exactly, exactly. But uh, I I think in a lot of cases, a judge will look at that and be concerned. So in our situation, we always tell the judge about us, uh, that we are a professional organization. We can either be listed as the intermediary or the fact that uh, he discloses the information to us and we make the reunion. In other words, uh, the judge doesn't have to be afraid of of uh, something like uh, what we just described mm-hmm. happening. And certainly no judge would want to open the records and have something come back on them that uh, someone invaded someone's privacy, etc. 
Yes. So I, I think the main thing that we deal with uh, in putting our petitions together is that our clients actually have a professional organization uh, to lean on to make the contact to do the reunion, thus uh, giving the judge uh, a little more confidence in opening up the records to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, been very successful in it. Um, and so in, very, in all states, you've been pretty successful in doing that then? Yeah, we really have. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly, uh, New York has been... Wow, that's amazing. Uh, a very tough. good state for that's us. That's wonderful because they've been really tough in the past, too. Uh, you know, cost-wise, what what are you? What kind of costs can people expect? Because you are a professional service, and like doctors or anything else, um, there's got to be, uh, people have to be compensated for their time. Uh, what can people um, plan on for uh, for budgeting for something like this? And I know it depends on how much they have and how long it takes. Is it hourly or is it by the case? Or no, we we've always done it by a flat fee, and and we've always been significantly less than anyone else. And I, I really uh, the reason we've done that is because of how we started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to help as many people as we possibly can. Um, I don't believe, and I've learned over the years, adoption searches do not have to, to cost as much as some charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, our full searches run anywhere from uh, five to seven hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are in the five hundred dollar range. That's great. Uh, of That's course, if you go out of the country, it's going to be a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we have to petition the court, uh, it's done at our cost, which mm-hmm. is three hundred and eighty dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, we don't always have to petition the court. It, it uh, it's probably nationwide about a fifty fifty chance of having the petition or not. Uh, so uh, normally it's, it's as I say, uh, around $500. That's not bad at all. That's, you know, that's a very reasonable and the cost of some, some media uh, equipment that they would have, some music media, and which piece we would have in, in doing that. And again, there's no guarantees, but you can get closer to it and maybe find even a sibling. Do you find sometimes that you, you don't find the birth families, but you find like siblings or other relatives? We do. I, actually, one of my... Uh, uh, one of my favorite stories, I guess I, I should say, although it has a bad twist to it, is um, uh, we were locating a birth mother for um, uh, a sibling who uh, just really had put off and put off searching. Of course, there's naturally a fear of rejection mm-hmm. on, on both the birth mother and adoptee's uh, part. But finally, she started the search when we found the birth mother she had just passed away the week mm. before, oh, I've heard that and one. which is, as you can imagine, yeah. how hurtful that is. Oh, yeah. But we were able to find a brother and sister for her. Mm-hmm. So actually, it worked out. It was a wonderful reunion uh, between the siblings, and uh, even to this day, they're all best friends. They see each other all the time. Um, so uh, something that may start out as as bad can end up uh, being really good mm-hmm. and turning into something good. Well, you know, uh, why do people come to you to search? What are some of the reasons they, they come to you to search, and is there a particular age that people come to you to search at? Well, I, I think everybody knows the right time. They, mm-hmm. they really do in, in most cases. Some people uh, tend to put it off, again, for that fear of rejection. But, um, you know, a lot of times... Uh, they say it's for medical reasons, but let's face it, that's, 
that's a way of keeping them from uh, having to yeah. deal with rejection openly mm-hmm. if that happens. Right. Um, and, and I've seen it over and over again. Uh, we did a show called Three Wishes with Amy Grant, mm-hmm. and uh, we, of course, uh, were finding a birth mother for an adoptee, and that's what she kept telling us. But the minute... Uh, I mean, the reunion was done, obviously, on television. Mm-hmm. And if you could see the two of them together, it's actually it's on our website. Uh-huh. Uh, you can tell right away she had no intention to really know what the what the medical background was. She what she had there, and that would and if they want to see that, you can go to worldwidetracers.com to see that uh, information too. That's correct. Yeah, I think that's, that's just a human nature too to protect ourselves. Is there any particular age you, you find men uh, men or women searching more than than one gender? Women more than men. I, I see that too. I find that uh, when people ask me, I think it's more women. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we do have quite a few men that, that search. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, again, we do get the, I want my medical history, and that's really what I'm after. Yeah. She doesn't want to see me, that's fine. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a study done not too long ago by a, a group called the Donaldson Group, and, mm-hmm. and they're actually uh, the study group for mm-hmm. adoption searching. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came out with a report that said 95% of all birth mothers want some type of reunion. Wow. Uh, obviously, reunions can take uh, different shapes and forms. But in our uh, group and what we found, 95% or more seems to be uh, about the same rate for us as well mm-hmm. as having some type of, of reunion. Wow. Uh, uh, which is, uh, you know, it kind of uh, dispels the myth that uh, most uh, birth mothers do not want a reunion. Yeah. And again, I, I think we can thank the media mm-hmm. uh, for that. And, and I'm, again, not uh, speaking of your media, mm-hmm. but uh, let's say Jerry Springer mm-hmm. or something along those lines for showing the worst case. Oh, of, and they're so rare, and they really are. I think birth parents are very loving, and they want the best, and, and I, that's why I'm an advocate for open adoption so that we don't have to go through a whole lot of this because it's uh, it's very sad, uh, and, and we have enough stress in our life. We don't need to be worrying about this particular area if not needed, but it's always going to be a need, too. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to discuss more about adoption search and reunions. This is Marty Caldwell. We're talking to today to Kurt um, Rutherford with uh, Worldwide Tracers. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption. This is Marty Caldwell, and I just wanted to share with you today that um, we have a lot of resources on our site at letstalkadoption.com. And before we get back to our show about um, search and reunion, uh, I wanted to remind you of a couple sites you can go to. A new site with a wonderful adoption bracelet is called um, I Designed This Bracelet. It's a fundraiser for uh, Lifetime Adoption Foundation. It's Adoption Prayer Bracelet, and uh, you can go to that website, and uh, you can find it, so adoptionprayerbracelet.com. And and uh, the proceeds, uh, 100%, go to Lifetime Adoption Foundation, which help women and children uh, with counseling and children that would otherwise go unadopted uh, find forever homes and birth mothers um, find resources um, and get counseling, maternity clothes, food, and uh, shelter. So I hope you go to that site. 
Well, I'll tell you what, Kurt. We were talking about, you know, a little bit about, uh, you know, who was searching. And you said, you know, birth mothers, 95% of the birth moms really want reunion on there. Do you find also that uh, family members, you know, birth grandparents or siblings uh, are interested too in, in this um, uh, in searching? And can they can they find that information? Uh, is it so confidential they can't get that information? Or can they do it if, if, if the birth mother doesn't want that? Well, sibling reunions, I, I'll have to say... How do I say this? I love sibling reunions. They take on a, a whole different countenance in, in that uh, siblings, there seems to be a lot of the joy, laughter. It's, it's, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. it it's just uh, such a, a wonderful, happy time. And not mm-hmm. that a birth parent uh, reunion isn't that way, or mm-hmm. a birth mother reunion. But a birth mother reunion uh, always has a more emotional uh, side to it, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it seems like the um, siblings just jump right into it, like they've known each other all their lives. Yeah, and uh, they doesn't have that guilt or that tie into it too. It just they're almost more accepting. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's I, true. And I I do agree the guilt. Uh, which uh, a birth mother should never carry, in, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, but it's something they can't help, yeah. understandably. And, but, and the situations, you know, what what you do at fifteen or what you do at twenty, and you know, we have to make decisions in our life at that time um, that are really difficult. And so I think that um, that's where you know, anger, letting go of that anger too, because it just eats you, eats away at you. And, uh, you know, sometimes they think, I wish I had done this way or that way, or I had got more information at the beginning, and they feel guilty about it. Well, um, and it's usually not in their control when mm-hmm. they're 14, 15, 16 years old. Yeah, and now today they have more and more control because laws have changed and birth mothers have more control over the type of adoption or if they want to, which is really nice, and I think it really helps a lot with open adoption. And for others that want to check into that, they can go to openadoption.com and get information. But let's ask you a couple more questions. When someone searches, and you're doing the search for them, Kurt, um, do you search for uh, the birth mother obviously first or the birth father, or how do you do that? Everything is uh, obviously done in the birth mother's name. Um, most of the time, the birth father isn't even named in the adoption mm-hmm. or on the original birth certificate. Only so. 35% of the birth fathers even now, 25% are involved. 25% of the birth fathers are even involved in adoption uh, even today. Right? Yeah, it's only 25%, so it's not surprising to hear that from you. No, it's, it's just there's, there's no sense even taking... Uh, a case uh, to look for the birth father uh, without searching for the birth mother first. And of course, once you find the birth mother, the story comes out. You usually find the birth father uh, in a lot of the cases, and of course, other family. Um, but uh, always the birth mother first. How's that reunion done then once you find them? I mean, you, you get the information and you call the client or email them, like you said, you email them, let them know I've got some information. Then what happens at that point once you've made a, you know, made, made a match? Actually, I'll kind of tell it in story form. And, That's great. And maybe this will um, make it just a little bit more real. Uh, once we get the birth mother's uh, phone number, then, uh, and this is what happens actually most of the time. We'll make a phone call. We're, we're very, very careful um, how we contact the birth mother. Um, if she's answers and she's at home, 
and you hear children in the background. Uh, we're very careful about giving her uh, an out mm -hmm. to get off the phone at that point in mm -hmm. time without uh, revealing uh, to her family or letting on to her family, mm -hmm. if that's a, a problem for her. But most of the time when we contact a birth mother, we'll say something like, does the uh, date of August 17th, 19 uh, 57 mean anything to you mm -hmm. and uh, inevitably you'll hear some silence mm -hmm. and then you start to hear some emotion yeah and you know at that point uh, just what the situation is that, that definitely that is the birth mother mm -hmm. and so at that point uh, we more or less just kind of work with her and make it easy if we need to we obviously reassure no one's there to disturb her family, anything like that, and uh, normally uh, we'll tell her a little bit about the adoptee, and we just kind of go back and forth, Marty, until both are, are at that point ready to talk on the phone, but I will tell you, usually all it takes is one phone call, yeah. and that's it. I, there's just so much excitement at that point. Um, so that's basically how it's done. Now, if a birth mother is not so sure, say she hasn't told her current family, mm -hmm. um, then we do, we'll set up a situation if need be where they exchange letters mm -hmm. and just give her the time to uh, work into it. It's, it's not so much that she wouldn't have the desire for a reunion, mm -hmm. it's just that there's some things she needs to, to get in order. Right, sometimes they haven't told maybe a, a spouse that they actually had gone through an adoption. Uh, exactly. And, and how is that normally? Uh, do you give advice on how they can approach that? or? Well, actually, I, in most cases, they know what to do. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, if it's a situation where and this is very rare again. Um, we gave the 95% figure of most birth mothers uh, want some type of reunion. Uh, if a birth mother says, I just can't do this, we always encourage, again, let's, let's start you out writing some letters. To, mm -hmm. uh, would that work for you? Mm -hmm. Even if we're the go-between, and right. uh, which we actually stay in there until everything is in order. We would mm -hmm. never ever leave our client mm -hmm. on their own mm -hmm. um, we're there for for them and we're there for the birth mother or the adoptee whoever we're looking for yeah and how long so, it takes it can take for how long i mean what are some of your case uh lengths that uh, have taken uh you're talking about years or months i mean some can be right away you know, and, and they can. They can be. We use. My dad used to say, "We can. We can find one case in fifteen minutes, and another one in fifteen months." And yeah. to a certain extent, that's true. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, if we had the name, there have been cases that we've solved in fifteen minutes. But mm -hmm. without the name, obviously, that's going to take longer. Right. On the average, nationwide, it takes anywhere from six to nine months. Mm -hmm. Sometimes less. Sometimes more. Mm -hmm. Uh, just depends on what we find out when we get into the case. How often do you find nothing where you just can't go any further? Uh, very few times. Mm -hmm. There always seems to be something that you can do. There's a lot of sources out there mm -hmm. that uh, are available. Uh, of course, as private investigators, sources who are able to get information, such as the name, uh, tend to feel more free and comfortable contacting 
uh, an organization such as ours that mm-hmm. is licensed and, and offer their service. Well, and, yeah, uh, Worldwide Tracers, since you are licensed, and uh, again, WorldwideTracers.com, um, that does give some sense of peace that you're not going to be flaky, and that's what my biggest concern for our listeners is that they they really research who they're working with first, and and you can work you know like nationwide. If we have people, we have a lot of people in the military or overseas. Can you also work with them overseas? Yeah, actually, we have several cases uh, right now mm-hmm. with with uh, soldiers overseas. I've got one I took the other day from Afghanistan. Um, another one was in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Actually, two in Afghanistan, as I think of it. Another one was back over here. Another one was in Germany. Um, so absolutely, the, the military situation, uh, there's no reason why we can't uh, do the uh, search for them as mm-hmm. well. Do you find a lot of people search once they start having children themselves? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes That's I what do. I found, too. Is it all of a sudden? What do you, th- what do you think that is? Um, I... I even though I was discounting the medical history uh, a ways back, I think some of it is medical history at that mm-hmm. point. But, again, I also think that uh, because they are having children, they're more aware of wanting to know just exactly where they come from. Mm-hmm. And uh, do their, uh, does their uh, child have a, a grandparent somewhere? Right. I think they have a, feel like an obligation, too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really important also. Um, you know, if what happens if, if you do contact someone and they don't want contact? They go, no, I'm not interested in that. They hang the phone up or they just don't want it. Was there something you can do? or? Well, as I said a while ago, first of all, we, we really want to feel it out and see if it's something that we can talk to them about. If we can uh, get them to commit to, uh, you know, for instance, can we call you back at another time? Mm-hmm. Can we write you a letter? Mm-hmm. Things of that nature. Right. You know, a birth mother's going to think about that. It's, yeah. it's not something, at that point in time, it may just scare her to death. Right, and you can leave your phone number, I guess. and you've got a soothing voice too, Kurt, so it's, I mean, it's not like you're, you know, that you're a creditor calling or you're the police or something, you know. Uh, you've got a nice voice, and uh, you're very soothing to, to listen to. So, well, I appreciate that. Do you have any openings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I think it's important that you know that that the person on the other end. I mean, that makes a big difference. If you and for people that are listening that are looking for someone to search, you want to keep that in mind. If you've got a crusty old uh, voice on there, uh, you may be shooting yourself in the foot with an investigator that doesn't have that compassion that I can hear it in Kurt in your voice. So, um, you know, really understanding that part of it too. Um, I like that, that you can leave a phone number, you know, or leave some information and, and attempt it again, because, um, you know, like you said, they may be in shock and maybe just need to absorb it. Exactly. Yeah. So when you do find a deceased adoptive birth parent or adoptee, which is horrible, um, you know, um, you do get back to people, and like you said in the story before, tell me another story about what people have done in that situation then. Well, right away immediately we look for an obituary Mm -hmm. and uh, we pull an obituary we look for other family members anything we can do and and this is before we even tell our clients Mm -hmm. Um, it's just that we want to give them something else Um, uh, it's really disturbing to us 
even though it's absolutely more disturbing to our clients. Sure. Uh, we can't feel what they're feeling, mm -hmm. uh, but we do know that it's important enough to try and find another family member that we can somewhat soften the blow. Exactly, exactly. I think so, too. And then you try, try to contact that person and, and let them know, too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and in situations like that, I can't think of a time when uh, we didn't have some type of a reunion with a family member. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, obviously, they would be so and are so sensitive to that mm -hmm. and can understand that. Of course, some of them have no idea that an adoption even took place. Right. And well, and it's very difficult. You know, some birth moms have guilt, and some others feel very good about their adoption. Um, what do you find, and, and maybe the older ones feel guiltier, or it depends on the circumstances if they're forced to place their child 30 years ago uh, versus they made the choice themselves. Um, are you seeing a trend and uh, changing that uh, birth moms aren't feeling uh, the guilt they, that older birth moms had? I Honestly, I don't see... Um a, a defining line between that. I, I see uh, what we've seen is uh, a lot of birth mothers have killed, no matter what age they were. And what reasons? They just they feel bad that they had. I, I mean, I understand that from a, as an adoptive mother myself, um, I feel bad that a birth mom has to make that choice. Um, even my own birth mother, um, that that would be a, a certain you know a decision she had to make. Um, because it's, it's sad, and you always want would, would like a child to be brought up in a birth family if possible. But I know a lot of biological kids that were, wish they were adopted, you know. Right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's, um, it, it's just some of those things that, you know, it, everything is different. But um, right. do you think this helps with the guilt then? This, this helps them to feel better about their decision no matter what the outcome was? Sure, because we hear over and over from an adoptee, I don't, I, I don't want to cause her any problems. I want to tell her, thank you. Yes, I hear thank that, too. Thank you for giving us an opportunity mm -hmm. at life. And uh, because a birth mother usually does not give up a child unless it's a desperate situation. Right, exactly. And I hear the same thing. Most of them want to say, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me an opportunity, Absolutely. not only for life, but for a wonderful life, for my family. And, and I find that a lot of them, and a lot of the people that, that birth, birth parents that, that choose lifetime adoption for us are doing so because they don't want to go through the state. They don't want to go through, uh, they want real personal attention. They want, they want a, a Rolls Royce you know, uh, treatment and it's not going to cost them anything. And they want to know that the families have been checked out and they want all the details they can so they can make the right decision on the family. So they don't have anger and guilt and they know what type of lifestyle the child's going to be brought up in. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I and think that's I, always, I always tell a birth mother um, and, and I think uh, these days I'm sure it's, it's brought up more often than it was in the past. Uh, providing an opportunity to place a child for an adoption to have a good life is certainly uh, a very big act of love. It is, and I think today we see this even in Haiti, and I see it in our center too, is that uh, women are looking and saying, I cannot afford to raise my child and provide them with an education, with uh, enough attention and time. I love my child, but right. love is not going to be enough at this point, so I'm going to use that love I have and choose adoption for them. I'm going to call the shots on where my child is going to be raised and why the type of parents and meet them in person and go from there, and that's what I'm finding that women are doing today. 
But you know, some birth mothers don't realize that's what they did. Yeah, exactly. And I think they'd have a piece too. I know I'm going to go ahead and, and do a little uh, blurb here, right? Uh, kind of an impromptu commercial. I want to give people an opportunity also on my fourth book that I wrote was um, so I was thinking about adoption. It is written for birth parents. Um, it's considering your choices, and if people are interested, they can download a free copy or order one. Uh, at I was thinking about adoption.com or free adoption book dot com free adoption book dot com I just want to throw that in because that's talking about birth parents a lot of that talks about getting rid of that guilt because I really want to see adoption um, in a better light as we you know education is all I want uh, for people and feeling good about it Kurt you know um, your organization worldwide tracers is there are there do you work around the clock then or do you have particular hours when people want to call you I mean they can go to your website worldwide tracers dot com but are there particular hours if people do want to contact you or Actually, we're the nine to five people. Okay, so that's good. <laughs> Monday through Friday, nine to five. But okay. obviously, uh, we have opportunities where they can leave their their number and any message, and of course, we'll get right yeah. back with them. Uh, uh, during the next work week. But, well, uh, you know, tell me again, too, uh, finding, um, you know, going through this process, a lot of people just don't know where to start, and they have some fears. What, what do you feel the biggest fear is of an adoptee or even a birth parent uh, about starting this? Rejection. Really, the rejection, yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, None of us want and rejection. Again, that's, that's where we hear the, oh, all I want is medical history. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a, a cover-up, and I, I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing. It's just somewhat of a cover-up to keep them from uh, maybe outwardly someone, how do I explain this? It, it's just a way... Protection um, shield, probably. Just Exactly, a protection shield um, in case they are rejected. Yeah, do you find that... Um uh, is it more the adoptee or the birth parent that's doing more of the rejection? I hate to even put it that way, but is there a, a percentage that... It, it works both ways. Okay, it, so. it truly does. It works both ways. I, I think the birth mother probably carries it or does carry it more heavily mm-hmm. than the uh, adoptee, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, both... It happens to both parties. What happens when uh, a child, and I, I, I think this is horrendous, when a, a, a child is not told they're adopted. I, I remember uh, working with a woman uh, came to my office and wanted some counseling, and, and we sat down and we chatted, and she uh, was in her 50s, and she was a uh, real estate broker, and she very successful. And uh, her parents had died a few months from each other, and uh, she went to the safety deposit box and found adoption papers. And she had no one to ask, and she was devastated. She never knew she was adopted, and she felt she lived a lie. I cannot tell you how many times that has happened. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing to me. And most of the time, it happens when the birth or the uh, adopted family has passed, Mm-hmm. And the last one passes, and there's usually an aunt. I don't mm-hmm. know why it always ends up this way. Mm-hmm. I hear that too. That tells the adoptee, did you know you were adopted? Mm-hmm. We've had it 40, 50, 60, 70, and I have even had a gentleman who was 80 years old. And somehow just found out he was adopted. What's that do to people? I kid you not. I, uh, it runs the gamut mm-hmm. uh, from anger to hurt. Disbelief to and then, yeah. amazement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it just runs the gambit. And then, of course, uh, just interested in finding out 
everything they can about it and to find out find their uh, birth parents. Yeah, I don't blame. Do you find a lot of them are kinship adoptions or within the family too? No, not really. Because they usually not, find out about that ahead of time. Not, not in, in those instances, mm-hmm. and you would think you would, mm-hmm. but uh, we haven't actually found that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that um, I believe some adopt, and, and this is uh, actually more in the past obviously than in the present. Sure. Adoptions today are so uh, much different, yeah. There, there are uh, adoptive families who are afraid of losing their adopted son or daughter to the birth parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I understand that. I can relate to that as adoptive parent. I had to go through that, too, and just realize that this is not going to be and that, you know, you just be a parent. Right. And with more and more open adoptions, Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is becoming a non-issue. Yeah, I think so too, because the child is brought up, and they just know that's my tummy mummy, and that was you know the year of my parents. You know, exactly. so I think that's really important. You know, for the people listening out there today that are maybe a birth parent or adoptee that might be considering doing a search, what are some what are some things you'd like to tell them and share with them? Um, good question. I, I think uh, most of all, uh, even though I'm, I'm really a proponent of, of making sure that you feel in your heart that it's the right time to do it. Um, I, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Is there a wrong time? Uh, the right time to actually do the searching. Yeah. Do, but is there a wrong time to search? Um, it, I, I think it depends emotionally. Are you in mm-hmm. a place yes. mm-hmm. where this would be a good thing for you? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean uh, anything but just what that, that is. Yeah. Um, uh, emotionally, um, uh, is this the time where uh, you really feel uh, that you want to do the search? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, we talk that through with them. There's, um, uh, we can usually tell the difference between emotionally not being in the right place mm-hmm. Or just being fear, fearful of doing the search and what they're going to find out. Right. There's a difference. But uh, there are some times when it may not be the right time to search. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, well, for instance, just uh, uh, if you're going through a divorce, obviously mm-hmm. that may not be the right time to uh, do a search because there's so many emotions exactly, involved with yeah. that. So yeah, I agree. that's There's just one example of, of what I mean by the timing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a lot of times people will say, you know, my parents, I, we just buried my parents and they never wanted me to search or I never wanted to hurt their feelings, so now I'm going to do the search. Do you find that true too? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have one right now that uh, I've been corresponding with a lady and a uh, real sweet lady. Uh, she's put her uh, adoptive mom in um, uh, home health care, and it's it's uh, a situation where she has Alzheimer's, mm. and she wants to search very badly, but she feels like she needs to get through this situation before she starts, and I certainly understand that. Mm. I, I think that's a really wise decision on mm. her part. On her part, and sometimes it, it's okay, and sometimes actually adopted parents. I, I mean, I am very uh, willing for my, my children to be in contact with their uh, biological family just because I've evolved in that part 
from education and realize that you can't have enough people love your children. And right. as, as long as they're not, you know, I mean, if, if the birth parents were in a situation where they were in prison or on heavy drugs and going to hound the kids or do something, you know, something would be bad and detrimental for my children, of course you wouldn't want that. So um, right. I think that you have to realize that. What happens when you find out that the child was a... Um, a product of a rape, um, uh, Kurt. Um, do you find that sometimes with worldwide tracers when you're doing that? We do, and how do you deal that with that? Is probably uh, the one time when it's very understandable why the birth mother would be uh, very reticent about doing any mm-hmm. type of reunion. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine what that was like, and uh, I believe in uh, many situations it's something that over the years they've want to, wanted to put in the back of their mind. Yeah. Uh, then there's been other situations where uh, they just uh, stepped up, and uh, they are the birth mother. Mm-hmm. They want to, to do whatever they need to do to help the adoptee. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, how do you get over something like that? Yeah, and very, very difficult. And we see that, too, with date rape drugs. It's very difficult. Right. Share, share with us a few little, um, before we close here, uh, reunion stories. Um, and then we're going to give your information on how people can contact you again, too. But any uh, of your favorite reunion stories uh, that you'd like to share? Um, one of them, and, and it, uh, I'll just have to say it's just something that's always tugged at my heart, and this is one of the first cases that I personally have had. And and by the way, you, you mentioned a while ago I've been with Worldwide Tracers 30 years. Actually, Dad started 30 That's years right. ago. Yeah. I've been here 26 years. Yeah, but right. This is one of the very first cases, uh, if not the first case, I, I took on. And uh, this gentleman told me a story, uh, and this was back in the 30s, um, of his uh, birth mother actually passed away. Mm -hmm. His dad was a musician who traveled. Uh, His dad took he and his brother to a home. Um, uh, uh, The brother was eight years old, I believe, and and the other brother was an infant. Mm -hmm. And so he put the eight-year-old, the the birth dad, put the eight-year-old up on the fender of the car and got his guitar out. And by the way, I had a picture uh, from the client of his dad with a guitar standing next to a car. And so it made it even more real. Mm -hmm. Put his son up on uh, on the eight-year-old up on the fender and played him a song and then said, take care of your brother. Mm. Took him inside, walked away, and that's all that was ever heard of him. Wow. And uh, we searched for the brother. Unfortunately, the records back then just were not uh, enough to ever find uh, the uh, youngest brother. Mm -hmm. And and I know probably I shouldn't tell a tale where it didn't end up where we, we could not uh, do a reunion here. Well, that's uh, why it's important know? for records and openness, and, and I'm glad adoptions have changed. Exactly. Uh, so but that we don't have that, because we don't like separating siblings at all, and we like to have that. But, um, you know, have you seen, I've in the past, I have seen twins separated, which breaks my heart and makes me sure. angry. And have you seen that? Have you searched for twins? We have. 
uh, we have, but very rare. Mm-hmm. It's very, very rare. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't happen that often. Yeah, and I don't think it's ethical at all. Uh, not at all. Yeah. And, and frankly, I in, in this situation, I of course, uh, being in the 1930s, a lot of things happen. Yeah. And uh, well, and uh, and then during the Depression time, and we're seeing a lot of this right now, where birth parents, and that's why we're we're keeping records. I know at Lifetime Adoption, we do is we even if the birth parent says, you know, I don't want to have any contact, it's, it may be too difficult. We'll put down that may want contact in the future, and still keep all that information so that. In five years or ten years, she may want contact, and it's in the files, and right. and get as much exactly. information as possible too. Exactly. You know, I want to say one more thing about sure. that case, if I can, yes. because it has always tugged at my heart, mm-hmm. and um, to this day, I still have that gentleman's file right over here mm-hmm. in a file cabinet. We still communicate from time to time. It's a warm case. I, I just I, I can't give up on it. Yeah. And it's been years and years, well, 26 years Mm -hmm. uh, since I started it. But that's just, uh, I guess, that's where we come from. Yeah, and maybe uh, with technology later on, something, and I know that, uh, have you ever worked with DNA also to actually prove uh, paternity? uh, Yeah, actually, that's that's a good question. Mm -hmm. We had two brothers that we just put together recently. Uh, that lived just in a couple of towns. Um, they did a DNA DNA test. Mm-hmm. It came back negative. Oh. We looked through our records. We looked at, checked everything, and we knew that they were brothers. They wow. had to be. So we suggested another DNA test. Because right, well, that could be what? false. Yeah. Yeah. Came back positive. Yeah, that's brothers. what happens. A lot of times, that that's what happens. We're seeing that more and more. There's some rare exactly. cases. Yeah, that's good that you did that instead of because that could have been devastating. And we're, they're seeing that even in, in criminal cases too, which is very interesting. And to do uh, multiple DNA testing to make sure it's done. Well, Absolutely, Kurt, you have been a delight to have on Let's Talk Adoption, and you have been a wealth of information. And I want to make sure that uh, people know how they can get a hold of you. At um, I know that your website's Worldwide Tracers T R A C E R S dot com. Correct. And uh, let's go ahead and give your phone number again, where people sure. can call. It's eight hundred four three two find F I N D. Okay, that sounds great. And so what we can do at this point is if anybody has any questions to contact, even uh, Let's Talk Adoption at info at letstalkadoption.com. And thank you so very much for being part of our show and sharing your 26 years of knowledge. And I wish the best to your son also that's helping you. And thank you so much. Marty, it's been a real blessing to be able to talk with you. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, and God bless you and your work. And to all my listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this show. It's been helpful, and I hope hope you'll tell your friends about Let's Talk Adoption. We'll have lots of other shows coming up uh, with different topics. We want to remind you that uh, every week we have a different topic. We'd like to hear from you. Send me an email at info at letstalkadoption.com you can also purchase a copy of this by going to uh, letstalkadoption.com or americancarriagehousepublishing.com thank you again god bless you we'll see you all next week bye bye now Thank you for joining us for Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. For more adoption information, visit LifetimeAdoption.com or call 1-800-923-6784. That's 1-800-9-ADOPT-4. And tune in again next week at the same time for Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell.